Good morning, everyone. <laughs> right. Got a bit of a runny nose this morning. And other things going on. <laughs> uh, I know some of you probably look at me and they're like, oh, she's always crying. <laughs> always crying. But, you know, the Lord honestly has such an effect on me. Such an effect. And um, it has been like this since day one. Seriously, the day that I walked, um, he had been doing something in my heart, and I knew I had to find his people. Um, and I walked in this one day in England, in the UK. Didn't know anyone. And I walked in, and it was like the presence of the Lord just pulled me in. And he said to me, You're home. And I was like blubbering mess. There was baptisms going on in the front. I didn't know a soul, but I'm like up here. What's going on? Like just so moved by who he is and what he was doing. And um, people were like, oh, do, do you have family? I'm like, nope. <laughs> I don't know anyone here except I know I need to be here. And, um, you know, it, it, it just hasn't stopped it hasn't stopped. The, the, the sense of being with him that moves me has not stopped. I wake up every day being moved by him. And there's not a day that goes by that I'm not thinking of him or I'm not communing with him or I'm not um, talking about him. It's impossible. It's impossible because he has changed my life and he is changing my life. Um, the effect of Christ is transformation. It is the absolute evidence that he is in your life. And the extent of that evidence is that he is your life. He is your life. And it, this is how serious it can get, where um, his effect becomes so explicit, so explicit, so clearly expressed in you that it can get embarrassing it can get embarrassing. Let me give you an example. A man recently uh, who is running for local um, mayor, or mayor, as Kirk says, mayor. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, when I was trying to say it, when I was speaking to him about the message, he was like, what are you saying? I'm like, mayor. He's like, mayor. Mayor. It's the South African Kiwi thing going on. Anyway, and... Uh, we, uh, we were invited to um, come have lunch with his family, which was really awesome. But, you know, the simple question of, Kirk had said that I was sharing that night, the simple question of, oh, what are you speaking on tonight? And instead of prayer, which is what I was speaking on, being the sim- simplicity of how you pray, I'm giving the man a rundown on how without Christ in your life abiding in you, you have no life. Right? And so pray. <laughs> and if you do have him in you, you will pray. Okay? So my point with that example is the guy's asking a simple question. Maybe just trying to be interested or polite. And for me, it's like if you're going to ask me about the Lord Almighty, about communing with him and having the 
the holiness and the beauty of communication with him, I'm not going to tell you how you pray. I'm going to tell you what life you need in you in order to pray. It's it, the, the relationship we can have with him becomes so explicit that he is... He is on the f- in the forefront of your mind, on the tip of your tongue. He is impressed in your heart. You are more aware of him than the person next to you. And so I can be in the room with, you know, an important person, and I don't care. Like, I, he's also in the room. The most important person in the world, the creator, is also in the room. And so... Before him, we're all the same, okay? But this is what, this effect of, of Christ coming in, he impresses, imprints himself in your heart that you are in awe and aware of him constantly. And it's explicit. And you can't escape it. You can't escape him. <laughs> the revelation of Christ affects us. In ways um, where he is impressed in our hearts, he's in the forefront of our minds and on the tip of our tongues. But it also starts redefining your life. Honestly, like I thought I knew things, but it's constantly being tested where he's changing it. Like I, nothing's just a word anymore. There's such, he's doing such a re- redefining work of my life, my motivations, my passions, my ideas, um, things I want to do with my time, it is all redefined by him. And that, of course, changes our relationships, our behaviors, and our mindsets. You see, your life begins to sink into his, and it becomes swallowed up in him, that you're hidden in him. And so every day without him is absolutely impossible. We know that Peter received a revelation, right? Direct from heaven. And Christ made a point that on this rock I will build my church. So not on Peter the person but that Peter had received something from heaven that told him that Jesus is the Messiah. And at this point, when Simon says, um, you, you, know, you are the Messiah, and it's been revealed, Jesus says, on this I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against her. Wow. At this point, Peter got a name change. But listen, Peter didn't know what was going on. He had no idea how pregnant with prophecy that name was that he received that would also define his very purpose, that he would be a pillar in the church, that he would um, come into the understanding of the priesthood, which is a spiritual family, Okay, God's people. And it, it reminded me how, it, sorry, as we know, Peter's name means rock, right? And it reminded me of here at the rock, um, interesting, 
At what point of change was for us as a body when the entire direction of the body changed? At what point could anyone maybe put your hand up if you sort of think, you know, what, what was the point of change for us? He builds the church. Greg received the revelation. When Christ spoke to him, he said, I, Greg, will build my church. It is a point of change that changed everything here. And what excites me is that it's not only change of direction, um, the change of name or anything like that, but it's, it's the purpose of who we are about to become or who we are becoming, right? A church that will push back the gates of Hades, that will not prevail against her. A powerful, prophetic, sense church in the world that will stand and declare who he is. The, the gates of Hades is the power of death. Now, I want to make that point because I think the power and the threat of death is probably one of the deepest fears that I would say almost every person has is the fear of death, right? And it actually infiltrates every decision we make and things we do. So that is the gates of Hades. But Jesus is saying, the church that I build will not be afraid. It will not be fearful of death. Um, Jesus is the foundation on which we are built. And it's actually interesting in that um, verse where it talks, where Peter, you know, has that revelation, that the, the two words for rock are actually different, right? When Jesus says, I am, I am um, the rock that the church will be built on, he's talking about the foundational rock. When he names Peter, Peter, that rock means it's the fragments of the foundational rock. Interesting, okay? It's, it's a fragment of the foundational rock. It, it's of the same substance. And all the fragments put together, built up, becomes the church. Oh, living stones. Incredible. And I love this because it, it points out how Jesus, I mean, sorry, how Peter is not, special in some sense, that he is a fragment of the rock, just as we are. We are all little fragments. But if we choose to partake of the divine nature of Christ, the revealing of himself, that we would be built up into the likeness of Christ. We all have the opportunity to be transformed as Peter was. It wasn't long after... Um, Greg had received that revelation that we had a um, prophet, Cindy Rokiri, who came and said, the people you are today is not who you were, and the people you were are not who you will become. Okay, and the, this revelation is the beginning of the transformational process, the beginning and this morning, I want to share the effect of God 
on us as his people, his effect on me personally, and just to express life in how, how I know it in him, right? The other day, I, I had put up on my Facebook um, that, you know, I have these peculiar moments where I'm sure I'm outliving life, like outliving life. And someone had responded and said, can you elaborate? <laughs> and I thought, it's like these three words, as simple as they are, they are an absolute elaborate work of the Spirit, all summed up in three words. The sense of that in Christ, we, it, it is a, a transcendent life, that in him, out of the overflow, we, we outlive life's limitations and expectations and, uh, what's the word, restrictions. We're, we're living outside of that. And so we're, we're living as a responsive people to his word and not reactive to what's going on. It, and it defines every situation we find ourselves in. So in all things, here's the thing. If you don't understand what you're hearing, Ask the question, ask the Spirit to elaborate. Ask the Spirit, because it's a beautiful thing um, with the Spirit in a sense of human words. They can be convincing, they can be wise, they can be spoken and even written, even what you're hearing today. But listen, it's the Spirit who perceives the words. It's the Spirit that will know the degree and thoroughness and the competence of the work that has been done in the believer. Okay, what do I mean by this? The Spirit searches out and knows the heart of man, his words and even his implicit thoughts. So the Spirit of Christ in you can hear and recognize the same manner of speech and is fully acquainted with the same elaborate work that's been done in yourself, has been done in me. Do you understand what I'm saying? When I read about Peter, I look at him and I identify with him. I identify and I am acquainted with the work that was done in him, has been done in me, and it will continue. And I'm still finding things that are like, I get that. And it's like Greg was talking about a few weeks ago, about the oneness we can have with one another. It's the spirit that perceives what the other is saying because it's a oneness in spirit. And the elaborate work that is happening in one person, you identify with. And you can finish each other's sentences because it's one spirit in the fragments of the foundational stone. So, like I said, the one person I relate to the most is old Peter, okay? And we share, I think, this beautiful, explicit relationship where um, we, you know, he so gracefully reveals himself, so beautifully, right? And in such a clear way that um, nothing's left um, implied that we could possibly get wrong, yet we eagerly get ahead of ourselves and uh, we speak up too soon, we can miss the point and have an unreserved expression of loyalty and love where we cut ears off, okay? And it's all in the name of the Lord and um, loving him. And, you know, we would be those guys that in an outspoken manner declare that Jesus is not going to the cross, and the rest of unsaved humanity gave us a slow clap. 
well done, guys. I relate. I relate to this. And um, (laughs) if anything, I remember reading about Peter years ago and how this fisherman, who, who was sort of fumbling around all the time, by the end of his life, He was displaying the greatness of God, where he laid his life down in service of man, where he was declaring things boldly before those he was in fear of. There's been such a change in Peter, and I thought, wow, this is possible. This can be our reality, that we can go from just an ordinary person to extraordinary, supernatural living by the effects of Christ. Now, I don't have to read too early or far after Peter's heavenly revelation to know that he was absolutely ordinary and so very human. It was just after his divine revelation that Peter rebuked Jesus going to the cross. At the time of Peter's outrageous proclamations and his reckless behavior at times, the thing is that he had an inkling of Christ's authority, right? He, he had a sense of who this man was, and um, he would own it at times, right? Totally own it, like he, he, he walked on water, whether it was for a few seconds, he walked on water, okay? He, he knew something of Christ. But it seems out of all the disciples, he was sort of the one that was always being corrected or always being rebuked, right? It was kind of like the guy wasn't getting it right sometimes. And um, in Peter, we can see, though, that what is causing this behavior is the mode of operation is of fear. It's of the flesh, Okay, and it's constantly coming in opposition to the Lord and his ways. And he is, Peter's journey is he's learning from the Lord. He is learning who God is and who he is in God and the ways of the kingdom, right? He is absolutely fumbling fumbling about in one sense, but he is learning beautiful things of the kingdom, In Matthew 17, it talks about um, the Mount of Transfiguration, okay? And Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and he leads them up to this high mountain. And it talks about how he is transfigured before them. And Jesus is, you know, in his revealed, glorified state. Like, it's incredible. His his face is shining, and his clothes... um, are as white as the light, it says. And, you know, this is the Lord revealing himself in all his glory, that the word became flesh to dwell with man. Beautiful glory. And um, it then says, you know, that Elijah and Moses appeared um, with them. But what does Peter do? Okay? He totally misses the spirit of the occasion. Okay, and he he cuts through this moment and he starts babbling on about setting up three tents for what he is seeing. 
Okay, and it's like this excitement and this eagerness of like, I've seen it all, guys. This is what we're doing. We're camping out. And (laughs) it actually says in the word, while Peter's still talking, it's like the father was like, oh, this guy again. Someone send a cloud right now, interrupt what is going on. And it says, while he was still talking, this bright cloud came over and it was like, Shh, Peter, shh, you know, you want to commentate for the guy because he's just, con- you just want to talk before he does the next thing. You just want to like warn him, right? But anyway, the father's good and he, he comes in and, and, you know, with this cloud and, um, and he speaks and he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. You see, for Peter, he's setting up camp. Not only that, he's, he's offering, I love it, he's offering, what a sweet guy, offering a tent for each of them, putting Elijah and Moses on the same plane as Christ. But then the Father speaks, and it says they trembled with fear, trembled with fear, and when they opened their eyes, it was only Christ who was standing there, the one true God. These moments that we have with the Lord are absolutely important. In one degree, I can be sitting on my couch reading this and laughing literally out loud, you know, and having a good old giggle because I relate to Peter and this cloud coming in and just cutting through his babble. It's hilarious, right? But at the same time, I've had moments where the Lord has spoken to me so direct that I've been humbled, absolutely humbled, through my babbling. And I know, I babble when I'm nervous. Okay, so I get you, Peter. You're babbling because you're nervous. I get it, right? He wants to prolong the presence of what is happening here. But listen, it was the tents of tabernacles, right? It was, they, they, um, Some say it was the week was just finishing up or it was that day because it was a week-long festival. But the Tent of Tabernacles is a festival that um, for the Israel people was to remind them that this man-made tent that they built in the wilderness is only a temporary dwelling until they settle in the land. But listen, Jesus, is glor- in, the, in a moment of glory, is showing himself to be the tent of tabernacle. He is the tent of tabernacle that we abide in for eternity. So Peter didn't have to make little man-made tents. God says, I don't come and dwell with tents that are made by man, but by myself. Why? Because he builds the church. Okay, but, but, Jesus, but Peter didn't, he didn't understand this. And he, out of... Out of out of what's going on for him, he's learning the kingdom. Out of what's going on for him, he thinks it's pleasing and he's going to build these tents. And I'm thinking to myself, how often do we cut through divine moments with our babbling because we're nervous? Or how often do we cut through divine moments with an urgent task or something to say that's hurried? Can we sit and wait with the Lord? to reveal himself in the true glory of who he is. Because it will change us and it will affect us in ways we can't even imagine. You see, I think for Peter, he might have taken this as, this is the beginning of the kingdom that Jesus was talking about. 
But he didn't know that the kingdom is within us. It's not an external thing. It is, it is internal. It is set up within his people. Yeah. <laughs> A time when I was babbling, babbling, he so, so gently but so firmly just said, Melissa, I am God of the heavens. You are on the earth. <laughs> Let your words be few. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I get it, you know. Or if I'm watching the news and I'm seeing this terrorism that's going on, stews me up, I sit with him. One day he said to me, I, yes, I am the God of comfort. Who are you? to be afraid. It's funny, um, after that happened with Peter, you know, in Luke it says, (laughs) Peter didn't know what he was talking about. I don't know if he had a moment of reflection, but it says that he didn't know what he was talking about. You know, like it was just absolutely out of a place of <clears throat> of fear. And it's just, you know, in those moments, it's like I rather receive the sweet rebuke of the Lord, the brutal truth from his lips, than a kiss from the enemy or flattery from the deceiver. And I respect that about Peter. It's like he, he would rather have heard the word of truth. He'd rather be corrected when he's bent out of shape than be playing church, doing rituals, and pretending to be something he's not, than actually be right there with the Lord, even if he's fumbling around, being made humbled, humiliated at times. His heart was for the Lord. It's beautiful. He's learning and he stays alongside Jesus as he gets to know him, expressing his inexperience of the kingdom life. Peter knew that Jesus was truth and had the words of eternal life. Remember he says, Lord, where else can we go? Right? He knew that Jesus was the truth. So we have to taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that he is good. Because one taste will change us. Okay, and it will will send us on a journey of wanting to taste more. And consuming him. Right? And Peter is such an example of a child growing up, exhibiting child's play. Okay, and he had some serious growing pains, and uh, he was a pain in people's necks, um, especially Jesus at times. And you know, again, when Jesus made reference to his death, listen, Peter every time had something to say about it. I think Jesus referenced it like four times about his death, and every time Peter just thought he, you know, he knew what what was important right now to say. And so the the first time when um, Christ, you know, reveals he's going to the cross. Um, Peter, in his fear, opposes Christ, 
pulls him away and rebukes him. Okay, like this is not what's going to happen to you, Lord. This is this is not the way. Okay, it's like never mind. It's the will of the Father, and it's for your sake that the glory will come from this through the suffering. You know, but but death, death and suffering of the Messiah didn't link up for him. Right, the Messiah was coming, and he was going to dominate. Right. If there were any enemies, they were going down. And it was because of Christ. He was coming as the king. And yet now he's hearing that he's going to his death and might be delivered into his enemy's hands. It makes no sense. That's not of that. What kind of kingdom is this, right? So the poor guy, right? Are you hearing, are you identifying with Peter? Because I, I, I feel for the man, right? But I get it. I totally get it. And um, anyway, so... The, the next time Jesus talks about it, um, he says, this is Jesus, he says, you will all fall away, right, talking to his disciples, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Oh, not Peter, no. Peter starts saying, even if everyone falls away, I will not fall away, right, and Jesus, so graceful, right? He knows everything, so graceful. He says, Peter, by the end of the day, you are going to deny me three times and you will hear the rooster um, crow. So Peter insists now, now it's like pushed him, right? Now he's like, no, 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 let me tell you something. I will go to jail. I will die for you. Like it's, you know, he's, he's certain and he's insisting and, you know, Telling God what's what's going to happen. Interesting. And it's, you know, another picture that the Lord gave me the other day when I was, <laughs> I was thinking of Peter and his fear of death. You know, it's like he's in the playground, right? And the bullies come. But he's kind of with the cool guy, the big guy, who's sort of done some pretty cool things. And he's kind of, he feels safe with this guy, right? But then he gets a bit cheeky. And so when he sees the bullies, he's like, hey, you know, like, I will take you on. Not me, but this guy will, you know? And he, he sort of, he taunts with it. And he's bravado. And he's eager. And he's, you know, he's pretty revved up. Like, he's, well, what's the word? He's, um, yeah, he's, he's puffed up. He's, he's ready for war, okay? But listen. We read on that Jesus then goes into the garden, okay, and he knows he's about to enter his death, and he's like, guys, sit here while I pray, right? Puffed up, eager to go to war, he's going to fight some guys, falls asleep, <laughs> falls asleep. Jesus is like, really? Can you, can you not stay up one hour with me? <laughs> guys, we can't go into warfare if we can't pray. Listen, if we can't even be awake and get to even a prayer meeting here, but want to declare spiritual warfare, yeah. it doesn't make sense, okay? For it, anyway, so he falls asleep. <laughs> well done, Peter. So at this point, we know the gods come and Judas gives a kiss to Christ, which was signaling, signaling who to arrest. And next minute... What happens? Huh. Do you know, in one of the accounts, they don't even use Peter's name. They're like, 
the one that was with Jesus got the sword out and cut his ear. I'm like, yeah, who's saving Peter's backside right now? Like, no one wants to mention names, but we all know it was Peter who sliced the guy's ear off in defense of the Lord. Okay, it's this behavior. And it's so interesting. I'm doing this study right at the moment, and it talks about how emotion and motivation um, come from the same root meaning word to move. Right? So what motivates us, we express, okay? And it causes movement. So we can hear that Peter's, even though his expressions and, and the way he's going on, it's, it, there's a motivation. He's affected. He's being affected by the Lord. And he, he just doesn't know what's going on, okay? Peter is with Christ and is tasting something of another realm, but is still operating from the fear of death and the threat of death. He doesn't understand, like I said, the link of Christ's suffering and the glory to come. You know, a few years ago, and I think I've shared this before, but a tragic accident had happened with a young Christian girl. And, you know, the way she, she died was so sad But I remember being so disappointed, so disappointed with the Lord, okay? Because in my mind, because she was Christian, somehow I just thought that we get it off lightly. Like the way our life ends should be in a less tragic way, maybe. But listen, my thinking was so out of alignment, so out of alignment, and even if I say that out loud, I know some of you could maybe hear that and be like, well, that's ridiculous. Like, what would make you think that because we're Christian, we, we, you know, we die a different way? But when you say it out loud, yes, it seems silly. But again, this is what Peter did. This is what I respect about him. He spoke things out that were with fear, but it was then that he was corrected. And so in my times with the Lord, I speak out what is in me, and he corrects me, and I will take it because I need it, absolutely need it. And I'd rather have a moment of feeling silly for what I've just said, but know that I'm going to grow from that because he has spoken and his word is eternal. While Christ was arrested and walking towards his impending death, Peter watches on from afar, okay? And he's recognized by others. And they say, hey, weren't you hanging around with Jesus? You know him. And as we know, he denies that he was with Christ three times. At this point, the rooster crows. And Jesus turns and he looks straight at Peter. It says that Peter went outside and he cried bitterly, bitterly, the, the godly sorrow. At that point is a point of repentance. That's another point of change for us, revelation, repentance. It is a, a sense of who he is, how graceful he has been through all those times, how his word will endure, how his word is what it is. It is it's like an awakening 
to who you are, but who he is. Okay, and it causes us to turn and to, to look to him. Right? So repentance is another point of change for us. You see, when those roosters crowed, that was a wake-up call for him. He realizes also his fear of death. And the bravado that he has is pierced. Right? And he realizes this kingdom life is of another realm. It's not what he thought it was. Right? He knew that God, that Jesus was the Messiah, but he didn't know his ways. Okay, and he's waking up to this. You see, for him, the suffering and the Messiahship seemed so in- incompatible that he could not connect them. Okay, and I, I want to bring something up, and I, I just want to put it out there, and I, I don't want to sound obscene or anything, but to our flesh, how compatible is sex and labor. Women, how compatible are those two things? I'm going to call it pleasure, okay? Pleasure and labor. Do you know that the body actually releases the same hormones as when there's pleasure and then when there's birth? That the body movements are the same. That the the noises are the same. The contractions. The brain, the same thing is happening on. What's my point of this? Is that we are designed. We are designed for those times of glory and of pleasure and designed for the times of suffering. Okay? When we think of pregnancy, um, the, the expression of two becoming one, Okay, it's the unity of the two becoming one. The result of that is oneness, is one being, okay, which is the glory. The glory that is set before me, the joy that is set before me, he could take on the suffering. Okay, so it is compatible. Do you hear what I'm saying? As human beings, we are designed for both. And in, in times of heartbreak and in times of joy, we are supplied for in every way. Our physical body is supplied and looked after for everything that the Lord takes us through. Does this make sense? Remember the Lord, before we went to the cross, he prayed that we would be one. Labor is such a privilege. It is. It's such a privilege. And, you know, it's intensely wonderful. It is. It's intensely wonderful of what our bodies are designed to do, right? And what the body, the church, and what we go through and what is to be produced is of him. It's of the kingdom. Things that are obscene to the flesh are, in the spirit, a deep work is happening, Okay, because the spirit is not content, as the message puts it, to flit around on the surface, but it dives into the depths of God to bring out exactly what God has planned all along. In Romans, it says, we know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. You know, um, probably about a month or two ago, um, Kirk and I um, miscarried. Um, and I just want to bring this up as an example of um, how the Lord processed this with us. Um, when I had found out, I had taken a test. Um, during this time, the Lord had, was speaking to me about Mary, okay, and speaking to me about how her son, Jesus, was this constant reminder of what our priorities are in our relationships, that the highest priority, even though the mother of her son, her son is reminding her that regardless of the relationship, our priority is the kingdom of God. Our priority is our relationship with the Lord, right? And so I, I kind of knew I was pregnant. Like, I just, I knew before I took the test. And like I said, it was a deep and personal work about the mysteries of life, okay? And... Um, how, how her word and her response to the angel of regardless of what was come her way if she, you know, when she gave birth to Jesus, what would come her way, she said, regardless, um, do, may your will be done according to your word. Oh, I just, I thought, wow, to live that freely and in, in faith that whatever comes my way with bringing, giving birth to this child, may it be done. Mm. It, it is. It's so beautiful. And, you know, in this time, um, I started miscarrying. Um, but, you know, it was like he was my physician, okay? And, and I wrote in my journal this one day, and I said, hormones are everywhere, but you are found in one place, and that's my heart. I know that I know that I know that I know. My very being, my very existence, my life is nothing without you. You have revived me and raised me. Thank you for your loving kindness and your overdose of goodness. Um, you know, in, in that week, within that week for Kirk and I, it was a lot to process. But I felt so loved. I can't even tell you. The love and the comfort, I felt so provided for from the Lord. I was not fearful, even as this was going on, I was not afraid. Do you know why? Because my life is swallowed up in Christ. It begins with him and it ends with him. And nothing is lost. I didn't feel like I was without. I didn't feel like something was taken from me. It was just a releasing and knowing that the Lord is good. He gives us an overdose of his goodness. He is so kind. There was nothing to worry about, nothing to be fearful of. I wasn't um, um, angry. I wasn't hurt. It was nothing like that. It was this experience of great love, even in the face of, de uh, face of death. I was comforted because I know who he is, and I know who I am in him, and that he is my existence. So he says, you know, what he gives and he takes away. And I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm, I was fine with that in this situation. It just, it was like, Lord, you are good always. Always, always, always. 
Faith doesn't deny the reality of a situation that exists, but what it does do, it denies the influence of fear. It doesn't allow fear to come and tell you how you should be feeling, what is yours, your entitlement. That it, nothing like that. It is of rest. Doesn't deny what's going on, but but you are provided for in that moment. Our lives are hidden in Him, and it's revealed through Him. Okay, so every time I read the Word, I'm finding my life in the Word. Okay, do you know what I mean? That's why when I look at Peter and I look at those guys, I'm finding my life hidden in there. And it's amazing because you, from that place you're living and it's not what's happening you know, so much here in this life. <clears throat> After Peter's denial, we know that Jesus restored him, right? Um, he comes to Peter and they have breakfast by the sea and he's with the other disciples. And we know that this was just a, a beautiful time of the Lord asking him, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter goes, Lord, you know all things. Okay, breaking point, the repentance. See, Peter, in the beginning, didn't quite know the purpose and the transformation that was about to happen. Okay, but within that, Jesus knew all along that he was going to be a pillar in the church, um, that he would come into the understanding of what trans- transformational family looked like, what, what it looks like to minister and be ser- in service of man, the priesthood, right? He knew these things because it was Peter at the end of his life who said, we are a royal priesthood, okay, a holy nation, God's special possession. He says this at the end because this, in those simple words, are filled with the elaborate work of the Lord in him, the effects of the Lord in him, that he can say these things and know exactly what it means, right? And then when others who have gone through the same work read that, we identify, okay? Things like the priesthood. This is something that's been put on my heart about four or five years ago. I can't tell you exactly what it, what it is, but I know that the Lord has been stirring me in it for so long. And now I see it in everything. And I can't get away from it. And to put it in simple terms, I think it is the transformational family that Greg's talking about. It's a people, God's people, in service who know how to minister to the Lord and serve the people. Okay? It's an outstanding church that can stand up and demonstrate the Lord as he is. See, Peter had to learn what it says in Proverbs, that in the light of kings, in the light of the king's face is life, and his favor is like a cloud of latter rain. The one in authority, such as a king, has great power, but also great responsibility to wield it. If you can imagine Jesus giving Peter the authority when he was still operating from the flesh, the chaos that would have come from that. Right, But the Lord has called him to be a king, just as he's called us to be kings. But we have to learn the ways of the Lord and his kingdom in order to wield that authority wisely. So transformation has to occur. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Jesus spoke about the spiritual power, right? that would come. 
and this was the Holy Spirit. And we know that Jesus said to them, you know, go up in the upper room and the Spirit will come and, and pray and, you know, ask for it. And on the day of Pentecost, they, it says they were all in one accord, in one place, and the sound of heaven and a rushing wind came and they were filled. And honestly, the spectacular transformation of the word, Christ himself, right, walking alongside Peter, of his spirit put in Peter where there is a oneness, where now Christ lives in Peter, the transformation is astounding. Astounding. The point of change from revelation to repentance to the spirit dwelling within him, where now Peter has become the tent, the tabernacle of the Lord. Read Acts, okay? Acts 1, he's prophesying. Um, Acts 2, um, oh, sorry, Acts 2, he's prophesying. Acts 3, he's healing a lame man. And what does he say? He says, gold and silver I do not have, but what I do have, which is what? Is Christ, I give to you. See, we can only give what we have, okay? And we only get from the Lord when we learn from him and position ourselves with him and stick along with him through every up and down, through every rebuke and correction, through every praise, okay, that his very effect would imprint himself on us. It's in these times that, honestly, he becomes a, he, we become one with him. Um, Acts 4, he's now where he was in fear of man, right? He's now speaking boldly before the Sanhedrins, the religious leaders. And, he, and he's telling them, he's schooling them. He's saying, you guys are the ones who killed the Christ. It's you, boldly before them. And they said, they were looking at Peter and the other disciple and were like, these guys are untrained, uneducated. What makes them so bold? That's right, they were with Jesus. More than that, Jesus is now within them. It says in Acts 5 that people were bringing their sick in hope that Peter's shadow would heal them. And listen, we all know it's Peter's shadow, but it's the Lord's substance. Okay, that's what heals people. It's, it's, but it's that explicit that it's like the shadow. I mean, crazy transformation, right? Just incredible. At one point, Peter says to the religious leaders, you know, if what's going on now, if this is the work of man, it will stop. If it is the work of the Lord, do not find yourselves fighting against it. He's putting himself on the chopping block right there. But he knows. He knows the Lord. He knows who he is in him. In 1 Corinthians, it says, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Has anyone read this and thought, what, what are we talking about here? Anyone? It's indicating that the level that we experientially know and enjoy the Lord in eternity, will match the level we were known by him in this life. I'll say that again. It indicates that the level we will experientially know and enjoy God in eternity will match the level we were known by him in this life. Okay, my point is this. Peter is a great example of experiencing the Lord 
and allowing the Lord to know Peter at his worst, okay, at his best, at his worst, he allowed the Lord to know him. And through this transaction, it will, it will match what eternity will look like for Peter. And this applies the same for us. You see, if we go alongside the Lord, the Lord and we, we have the spirit empowerment within us, there's a, such a huge difference between the law and the spirit. The law spectates. The spirit, the spirit participates. It is witnessing the, with a direct learning and a direct transaction with the Lord. We are being built up, okay? Where the law can separate the, the form and the substance, okay? But it's one. I'm coming to an end. Remember that Peter, out of his mode of operation where he was fearful, couldn't link the suffering and the Messiah. And the, the fear of death was you know, causing him to behave a certain way. But when the Spirit of the Lord was revealed in him, he says, as long as I'm in this tent, it is to stir you up knowing shortly I must put off my tent's just as the Lord Jesus showed me, okay? He now understands that this tent is temporary, okay? It's no longer um, a stumbling block for him. The fear and the threat of death is no longer. The Spirit gives the why Jesus did what he did, right? For the disciples, when the Spirit, when they had received the infilling of the Spirit, it suddenly made sense why Jesus healed, why Jesus spoke the way he spoke, the things he did. It, it brought it into alignment, You know, the Lord has given us all things pertaining to godliness and life. All things are found in him and in his spirit. In Romans 8, it says, The law is fulfilled by the Holy Spirit in us, that the presence, the substance, the word himself in us will form the very life of Christ. The effect of Christ impressed the same power that saved your life, who says, and this is what the Lord says, I will ransom them from the grave. I will redeem them from death. Now lives in us. Okay, the same one who says, I will redeem them and ransom them from death. The same work that was done in Peter is working in us, the same power, with the same goal in mind. Okay, the same purpose. So when death fully confronts us, Okay, when, they, when those bullies come, we no longer have to hide because Christ within us, the power in us, pushes back and says, death, where is your sting? And death says, what did you say? And you can step forward and go, I said, where is your victory? Okay, because Christ, the power that... that overcame death and the sting of death now lives within us. On the cross, he releases us from the power of death, but also the threat of it, that no longer we are threatened, but we are the threat according to an endless and indestructible life. The word, the Lord said, um, 
death, I am your plague, and I am your destruction. And when I read that, I thought, wow. You know, it's like telling those bullies, I will be your plague and I will be your, dist- your destruction. This church is advancing forcefully and will push back the gates of Hades that will not prevail against her because of the power of Christ in her. Okay, and this is, the, this is the call of the church for us, is that we would be this church that is forcefully advancing in the kingdom, that the power and the, the threat of death will not overcome us, but we will become the threat to death. Is this huge? Blows my mind, but I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here because it is changing my life. The effect of Christ, his ways, his will, and his purpose is absolutely changing me and people around me. And I want to be a part of that till the end. Thanks for having me, guys.